Hello, we are the Banana Jam Podcast, and today we have another episode for our podcast. You can't tell. Uh, today we're doing ghost stories from the website outsideonline.com. The name of the first story is The Ghost of Oxford Milford Road. We do not know the name of the writer. Jamie, it's your turn to start. Okay. When Brad Culp was a student at Miami University in Oxford, Ohio, there was a rumor that the town was one of the most haunted places in America. When Culp started an on-campus magazine, he couldn't wait to write about several of the area's most famous phantoms. Not long after his story published, though, he kept finding himself thinking about one ghost in particular. The Ghost of Oxford Milford Road. As the story goes, many decades ago, probably sometime in the 40s, there was a young man courting a young woman in a rural part of town. Because the woman's parents didn't approve of the match, each night he visited her under the cover of darkness. After her parents went to bed, the young woman would sneak out of her farmhouse and flash the lights on her parents' car three times. Then her young suitor would ride his motorcycle down the road. One night he took the, the turn right before her house a little too sharp, says Colt. The motorcycle went one way, he went the other. His injuries were so severe that he did not survive. Rumor has it, however, that his love-struck ghost still haunts this stretch of Milford Road. Curious Colt, his girlfriend, now his wife, and a friend decided to head out there one night to see if they could verify the tale. His girlfriend was worried she'd be completely freaked out. She believes more in that stuff than I do, Culp says. But he was mostly concerned that his suspicions that none of this was suspicious was actually true would be confirmed. On this particular night, as Culp passed the abandoned farm, an idea came to him, and he pitched it to his girlfriend. How could she not say yes? Though reluctant, she relented, and Culp turned a short way into the farmhouse driveway. He killed the engine and flashed his lights three times. No joke, there was a single headlight that appeared three quarters of a mile down the road, Culp says. You saw it start to come, going pretty slow. It kept coming and coming and coming. My wife was freaking out. It was coming closer and closer. As a collision seemed imminent, Culp turned on the car's lights. He expected to see a kid on a bike bailing out from his prank now that he'd been caught, but there was nothing there. The light is just gone, he says. They got out of the car. They walked around trying to figure out what it is that they could have seen. To this day, we still talk about it. I saw something I cannot explain, he says. If you get him and his wife around a campfire, they'll swear up and down that the story is true. And if you're ever in Oxford, Ohio, consider parking for just a few minutes on Oxford Milford Road at night to test your own nerve. Okay, that was the end of that first story. Um, these aren't really that long, so this podcast episode might be a little short. By a little short, I mean really short. It might be around 10 minutes, maybe, just maybe 15. But here's Eli on the second one. Yeah. The second one is, was it people or was it aliens? That's not good grammar at all, but here we go. Doug Averill grew up as one of eight boys on his parents' sprawling dude ranch, the Flathead Lake Lodge in rural Montana. As a teen, the Avril boys ran wild. We rode around as a little gang of cowboys, he remembers. 
They'd saddle up and head off to check cattle on the three giant tracts of land the family managed, which formed a triangle around some of the state's most uh, remote rangelands. One summer in the 1960s, the brother came across a ghastly sight there on the ground were three dead cows neatly arranged in a circle. No obvious wounds were visible, but their reproductive organs had been removed. But there was never any blood. It was almost surgically removed. I don't remember it. During this decade, America was obsessed with aliens and write-ups in the local newspapers uh, posited that perhaps this was the work of extraterrestrials. People mused that aliens had taken the reproductive organs for testing, but one day Yavril and his friends came across a lance in their past. Attached to was a cryptic note with a threatening message. That's when we thought it's going to be people doing this, he says. The thin thing got really strange. Over the next few days, a series of odd events unfolded. First, the brothers stopped in, in at a local bar to grab a hamburger leaving their horse in the back of a stock truck. The horses were packed in tightly and the arrows were only gone for a few minutes. When they came back, the horse packed into the middle of the truck. It was mysteriously out with no signs of the struggle. We had no idea how they possibly could have gotten that horse unloaded without unloading all the others, he said. The next day, a new wrangler on the ranch fell off his horse and was badly injured. They'd all been riding together, but not a single one other member of the crew saw the accident. It was the weirdest thing, Avril said. The man's injuries were so severe that he was left permanently disabled. Finally, the last terrible thing happened. An old camp, camp cook drove out to meet the brothers and ride for a day, but when he arrived, the tailgate on a stock truck had somehow gone missing even though it had been there when he'd loaded up his, ho- his horse Betsy had fallen out of the truck and been dragged behind the vehicle for who knows how long. They had to put her down on the spot. To be honest, it just killed me. It, it just killed him to see what had happened to Betsy. We probably should have put him down too, remembers Avril. The those three events were just boom, boom, boom. Three things in a row that were so weird all tied together because they were right after we saw that spear. He remembered three things, like the three dead cows left in a circle. Avor used to tell the stories from that summer around the campfire quite a lot, but over the years he's got he's got new stories, so they've been shifted out of rotation. Besides, they're awfully grim. But Ibra, he recently got a call about a downed bull, a buffalo. It was out in one of the most remote parts of his ranch. A neighbor had seen a pack of 16 wolves, and, nor- and normally wolves don't bother buffalo, but 16 of them? I thought, well, maybe. He went to investigate their lying in a snow-covered field was the bull, but there were no bullet holes or teeth marks or gashes on its corpse. Even strangers scavenging animals and birds hadn't touched it. Not even the buzzards, which is really unusual, he said. One other thing was a mess. Its reproductive organs were gone, and there wasn't a single footprint in the snow around it or anywhere along the mile-long walk into the ranch from the nearest road. 
whether he thinks he's dealing with aliens or humans and he'll tell you he's pretty sure it's humans but I'd rather it was aliens he had after that summer back in the 60s uh, seeing what humans were capable of he picked aliens any day alright that was the end of the second story now onto the door the third start okay Jane come on it's now your turn again that was actually a really good story and if y'all can't tell I got stuttered don't try to to mention it too much so, and also, I'm going to take a break real quick. Um, we do have a Twitter that we just started. We don't, um, we have very few followers, even uh, if we even have any followers. Um, I'll be putting the name of that in the bio of this episode. So, yeah, let's get on to the next one. This one is called The Ghost of La Parva Ski Resort. Throughout Latin America, you'll hear of variations of the story of La Llorona or the wailing woman. Sometimes she's lost her husband, sometimes she's lost her children, sometimes it's both. But in La Parva, a ski spot in the Chilean Andes, the wailing woman is named Lola, and everyone in the area swears they knew her before she died. A local restaurant owner said he dated her, pro skier Drew Tapp said. Adding that the ski patroller he heard this story from pointed at the exact hut where his tale takes place. The story starts on a nice day in peak ski season. Lola and her young son plan to spend the day on the slopes. As can happen in the Andes, a thick fog rose up from the valley, which often precedes the arrival of a real storm. The clouds, enve- the clouds enveloped the two as they were making their way down from the top of the mountain, and they lost contact with one another, Tax says. Desperate to find her son, Lola began screaming his name as she ran through the thick fog. Unable to see clearly, though, she stumbled down a steep slope and began sliding toward a rocky colloir. By chance, a local lift operator who was returning to his cabin came across her body. He was afraid she was dead, but on closer inspection, inspection, he found that she was still alive, just barely, Tex says. Her body was covered in lacerations from sharp rocks, and the only word she said in the faintest whisper was her son's name. The lift operator worked to carefully pull her body to his cabin, which was just up the hill. He banished her cuts as best he could and ran to fetch a doctor. Together, the doctor and lift operator made their way back to his hut, the fog hanging thickly in the air. When they arrived, though, the bed was empty, just the bloody sheets remained. Neither the woman nor her son were ever found, Tack says, but local reports but locals report hearing their wail for healing her hearing her wail for her child whenever they're near that lift operator's cabin. And here's the thing. Tack does not believe in ghosts. Something, however, changes when he arrives in Chile each winter. Maybe it's the fact that from La Parva you can see up the Carol El Plomo, an Incan child sacrifice site. Maybe it's because Tap has simply read so many magical realism books by authors like Juan Rufo and Gabriel Garcia Marquez. But sitting alone in his cabin in the Andes, with the wind whipping and the candles flickering, he swears that every now and then he can't tell if he's hearing, if what he's hearing is a woman or the wind. Okay, that is the end of the last story. To See, like I said, this is a very short one. We're coming up on 12 minutes. We'll probably stop at exactly 12 minutes. So I'll put the Twitter in the bio. And I hope you guys 
like these episodes. I mean, I mean this episode. These stories were really fun to read. We might do this another time. Bye.